there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning to y'all. Your day is off to a very good start. Uh, let's see if we can't become uh, financially sounder and wealthier uh, throughout the show of Hi-Fi Radio. It is a show about money, uh, saving money, growing your money, protecting your money, and uh, yes, compounding wealth. That's what this is all about, is compounding wealth. Jack Hurdle, of course, here for the cause. And uh, well, we have a, a unique guest, an interesting guest. Uh, I'm going to say he's a member of the Way Out. I work with him. I can say that. Don't open, don't open your pop on the air. He's opening his pop on the air. Oh, we're off to a bad start here. <laughs> yes, his name is Jamie uh, Carrasco. Uh, not, not the Carrasco show that's coming up after this. No, no. Uh, there are no slackers on our show. Okay. No slackers. No slackers. You got slackers can listen to this show. This is this is not for slackers, my good friends. No, you got to pay attention to this show. Yes, indeed. So, uh, Jamie, uh, when I called you, Jamie, you, you, you've corrected me in terms of your name. So, please, share with the audience uh, the, your, the correct enunciation of your name. Well, it's James in Spanish. Jaime. Jaime Carrasco. Hi, Mike. When you said it to me, I was thinking about Get Smart, and I, I was impressed that you knew the character of Jaime on Get Smart. Uh, now, you tell me, what was the deal with that show? Was it, it was made in Mexico. Did not know that. Loved the show. A little bit of trivia. I love the show. Maybe um, uh, Brittany, uh, Brittany the Butcher, we like to refer to her. She is our technician this morning on High Fire Radio. I'm usually our technician each and every week. By the way, she wants a shout out for uh, Brittany. That is her birthday. Happy birthday. Yes, yeah, so gifts are welcome. Um, you millennials, you're bold. Yeah, we are. But that's good. Be. Yeah, that's good. So, well, happy birthday to Brittany. Uh, may all of your dreams and wishes come true. May you live long and may you prosper. And you will prosper, Brittany, if you pay attention to this radio show. I don't know about what uh, Jaime's got to say, but let, let, let's have some fun with Jaime. So, uh, I'm going to have to probably stick with Jamie. It's easier for me to get off my tongue at the start of the day, okay? So, Jamie, you, you like gold. Um, Please share with us why investors should hold some gold and, and, and how much gold exposure do your clients have? Well, my clients have at the very least 15 to 20% of their portfolio sitting in precious metals and, and precious metals components within their portfolios. Um, I'm not a gold bug. What I am is uh, a bond trader. The last, uh, I was lucky enough to have worked as a bond trader for Gordon Capital. When I started in the business, I was a repo trader, so my my, the basis of my entry into the business was in the what today became all the credit derivative swaps. And the last generation of bond traders who have worked under a gold standard taught me the business. Uh, because of that, I see the world differently. I see it from a debt perspective. And I see gold uh, from a historical component, from a historical perspective, as the ultimate form of money. The one money that can't be duplicated. And when I look at the world today, I see things from the debt perspective, not from markets continually going higher, I look at the fact that against that growth in equity values, there's a lot of debt that's been rising. Debt that, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other people like Ray Dalio, who has uh, of late been talking about the 30s, the debt money managers, the debt people, were looking at a at, at, a, at a different picture. For example, most people would look at a man with a, or a person with a $5 million home and say, oh, that person's wealthy without realizing that against that home, there's more than $5 million worth of debt. So in real value, the reason, the real, there really isn't any value. So we're looking at the disconnect between the amount of debt that has been created since 08 and the equity values that have risen as well, but it's not commensurate. If we look at that, 
you know, we've gone from 100 trillion of, and, and let's not really look at the Fed, look at the whole component. We've gone from $100 trillion worth of debt in 2008 to more than $250 trillion today. There's certainly a lot of people living beyond their means, and Jamie referenced that, but you look at the debt, you look at the debt since you talked about the depression there, the chart goes from the lower left to the upper right. Right. So, But so does the stock market. So there has been value that's been created both in equities and then also if you're holding debt, you're obviously clipping the uh, the interest in the coupons. We have Jamie Crasco in studio. He's a colleague of Jack and I, uh, Jack and mine. Um, he does things differently, and that's actually why I invite him onto Hi-Fi Radio because he views uh, the world differently. And we are all individuals, and uh, I think if uh, – what happens really in our business is <clears throat> advisors attract clients like themselves. Um, and so <clears throat> if you – are of minded as, as Jamie is. You may want to give Jamie a call. Uh, Jamie could perhaps help you uh, build out a portfolio for fear, shall I say? And I, I'm sort of having fun with you, Jamie, just just because. No, no, it's fine. It's, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's also your job as an advisor as well to educate your clients, right? And educate them. We're going to have a uh, a professor on next with behavioral finance, and we deal with behavioral finance all the time, and we deal with all these cognitive issues that and blind spots that, that investors have. It's our job as investor as investment advisors to help them along that route. And I think that's what Jamie's doing as well with his portfolio well, with the insurance. Let, let's, no let's look at that for a second, behavioral science, because one of the things I look at, I look at the world from a historical perspective. I didn't study business. I studied political science and economics. I speak four languages. And I love history, the history of money in particular. And we see parallels to the 30s. One great example from a behavioral perspective, the fact that today we have even greater social dislocation. The social contract isn't working. The concentration of wealth among the 1% has gotten bigger and bigger. Meanwhile, society is getting poorer and poorer. That's why Trump got elected. It's the populist wave. It's replaying itself. You know, on BNN, when I called Trump before the election, the reason why I said Trump was going to win because of the populist wave. Hitler, people wonder how Hitler got elected. Well, he got elected by the people because he was the non-political choice, the same way that Trump is. There is social discontent. Uh, we have Jamie Krasko in studio. Uh, he thinks differently. He works with Jack and I. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with him. And uh, so we're going to uh, extend the conversation on fear assets uh, and, and, and hedging against mountains and mountains and mountains of debt that exists in society. More of it on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle in studio, helping the cause, Wolfgang Klein, your Sherpa, shall I say, this morning? Uh, we're talking gold. Uh, they're gold in them hills, and uh, boy, prospectors have to go far and wide sometimes to find that gold in some unpleasurable places. Uh, I like Warren Buffett. He's got seven quotes on gold. Uh, quote number one that really makes me laugh. Gold gets dug out of the ground in Africa or someplace. Then we melt it down dig another hole, bury it again, and pay people to stand around guarding it. Uh, Buffett believes gold has no utility, and any watching, anyone watching from Mars would be scratching their head. But I want to take it to, to another level here in terms of productive assets. Um, debt can be used productively. Yes, the world debt is increasing. We know that. But again, I want to go back down to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says, with all the gold that has ever, I said, ever been mined in this world, it would fit into a cube 60, uh, 67 feet uh, per side. 
Um, he mentioned that, but the fitting, fitting on multiple football or on a football field. Uh, but it, it's worth seven trillion dollars, approximately all the gold ever mined. He said you can either buy the gold for seven trillion, or you can purchase all of the farmland in the United States. You could have bought seven Exxon Mobiles, and you could have had still a trillion dollars of walking around money. So you would have gotten all the farmland plus a seven Exxon Mobiles, and still have a Trilsky. Uh, to play around with. That, that, mm-hmm. It's a little dated. I think that's when ExxonMobil was probably the most valuable company in the world before all the FANG stocks came so, along. So you, so you get more of them now. Okay, you get more Exxons so, now. Yeah, just right. to show yeah. you where that quote's coming from, though. Yeah, give yeah, you some no, perspective. No, it might be 15, 20. But again, I've been watching Gold uh, Jaime. Uh, it's the second hit. I'm going to work on the second derivative of your name, Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, I would say I bought my first gold stock, which was Barrick Gold. Uh, 1992. I paid $30 for Barrick Gold mm-hmm. in 1992. It has become a bigger company, a more indebted company, and the share is the share price is gone in half. 1990, complete crap pola, I'm sorry to say. I agree. 28 years later. Newmont has not done much better. I look at the price of the bullion itself, and in 1990, Jamie, you'd have a better number for me, but I'm going to guess it was probably 650 700 bucks an ounce. You know what? I don't even look at Barrick, but let's talk about no, it. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the price of the commodity. Gold oh, back perfect. in 1990 was probably six 700 bucks an ounce. Not bad. In 28 years, it's doubled. But again, gold did rally up to 1900 bucks an ounce. So from peak, that has not been a good store of value. Uh, true, true. However, you have to understand as well that against all of that gold, physical gold, there's a lot of paper contracts that have been sold. Scotiabank itself last year uh, agreed to pay the fine for spoofing the market. You know, most people don't put that part of the of the mechanism together, which is a debt-based mechanism to suppress the price. It's it's a, the way I describe it as a game of musical chairs, where the actual physical chairs are being taken away by China since 2008. They've taken away the 18,000 tons from the west to the east. That's a fact. We know that because they had to be re-smelted. They work on a metric system, so it was re-smelted from pound ingots. To they to, they couldn't do the metric. conversion. They had to resmelt it. It has to be resmelted because they they worked on a on an actual brick that is a, a, a kilo brick, right? So they're dealing in keys, not elbows. Exactly. Now, um, so so that price suppression mechanism is in place, right? So so it's a game of musical chairs where the chairs are being taken away, but there's more and more people running around with a piece of paper claiming those chairs. Now, let me back up a bit. So, so you because, back up. So you're saying that there is more paper uh, denominating gold than, I'm going to tell you, you're talking currency, you're talking actual certificates for- actual certificates. For, for gold. You're for saying gold. there's more certs than there is gold? Totally, totally. And if you look at the EFPs, the COMEX hasn't delivered any gold for the, the GLD, last The months. GLD is the one I used to watch. I haven't traded that thing in ages, which we again represent- And again, what percentage of that is I heard, I heard, I heard 100% backed. Well, GLD. that's what they say, but now you can't claim it unless you have 150,000. They keep changing the rules. So it's a bit of a question mark. The reality is, is there is a physical flow of, of gold that has left to China. Let me back up for a second. If you want to study gold, I would not look at Buffett Jr. I would look at Buffett Sr., who wrote the ultimate pieces on gold in the 30s and helped Roosevelt rebalance the monetary system. There's where I would start looking at gold. For some reason, Warren has completely forgotten the, the, so, uh, so the teachings so of his father. To, who are you referring to? Warren's, Benjamin? Warren's father. Oh, his actual father. Senior, senior oh. Buffett, right, who was an advisor to Roosevelt and who wrote the seminal pieces on why gold is money from, an, from a, why is it put in the Constitution of the US? Why is it Article 1, Section 4, no money shall be issued against back than gold? Because we've gone through this experiment of solving our problems through printing money before throughout history. 
and the results are always the same. Complete inequality within society so that it breaks a social contract and we have to remake the financial system. What is good about gold, and people don't understand this, is if you look at gold from a historical perspective, all the gold that the Romans un un dug out of the ground is still around. It just doesn't rust. Right, $7 trillion. Right, but that creates a constant that we can all trust in. What mm -hmm. it is, is is stored energy. We've already spent, you had to have the revenue and the profits to be able to buy it and acquire it and save it, right? Monies always go back to their intrinsic value because government tends to borrow to an unbelievable amount and while we think we can control interest rates, what happens when we can't anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, all debt leads to inflation, that is a fact. Uh, we have Jamie Crasco in studio, he's a, uh, I don't know how to describe you, Jamie. Go bug, you said you are not. I'm a contrarian. He's a contrarian investor. Oh, look, that, that's good. He's a, a contrarian, contrarian investor. investor. Uh, do you want any tech stocks? I, again, you know, I got this little wheel here. And in 60 seconds, Jamie, uh, in 60 seconds, Facebook witnesses 973 log, sorry, 973,000 logins. In, in other words, a million logins in Facebook every 60 seconds. Google, 3.7 million searches. I said 3.7 million searches in 60 seconds. The point I want to make is Google, Facebook, Netflix, those are productive companies providing a need and a want to people who then exchange that need and want for fiat currency, i.e., U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars. That system works for me. I, I agree. I, I get that system. No, no, I agree with I, you. I get that I, investment. I agree with you, but we could have been having this conversation in 1930 talking about the radio, the television, and all of the technological advancement we had at the time. Yep. Yep. Don't this, you have to disconnect what we've uncovered from a technology perspective on what's going on with money the, the, itself. The point, the point I want to make is what, like gold is just what you a number you wish to assign to it. Okay, there's a cost to mine it. That part I get. But beyond that, as Buffett said, it's unproductive. It just sits there. And it, if, it if, is. If, 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 we trans, if we pivot from gold to Bitcoin, which the market did, all of a sudden the mania could move to Bitcoin. And, of course, Bitcoin blows up and gold, of course, has a bit of a sheen to it. But... Thirteen hundred buck here, thirteen hundred buck there. It's been thirteen hundred buck. Okay, let's look but, at. But, but Jamie, I, unfortunately, my good friend, I can't, I can't hear that final statement. Of yours. <laughs> we are out of time. Um, we'll bring you back on, dude. Okay, we'll bring you back on. Okay. Jamie Grasco, uh, portfolio. Excuse me, investment advisor. You a PM as well. Portfolio manager and a portfolio right. manager. So I manage two portfolios and one specifically a gold portfolio that is a standalone solution. And does your standalone solution exist on the web? Can they take a look at it on the web? Uh, only for the last year, because since I moved to Canaccord, that number is tracked, but the per actual portfolio was set up January 1, 2015, when the Fed started reversing rates because of the debt cycle. Right. Uh, Jamie Crasco, pleasure to have you in studio for Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, we'll speak more about gold with you later, my good Hopefully. Friend. All right. Uh, coming up next... We are going to speak to the professor, uh, talk behavior finance to see how your nerves were rattled in the crash that we had in the fall, um, and just see what was going through your mind. Uh, Mr. Nadler, Professor Nadler, is going to come on Hi-Fi Radio to join us and talk about uh, you being your worst enemy every now and then. Uh, we'll get right back to you. Thanks. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto on the Global News Radio Network. Wolfgang Klein, your host, the show about money. Um, I'll tell you, October, November, December of 2018, 
Well, it was, it was a historic moment. Uh, the market had a crash. Crashes don't happen that very often. Uh, since 1950, I think we had a couple of crashes. Uh, 87. Uh, what was the other one in time that the, the technician referring to, Jack? We had the flash crash. We also had a... nope, but the real crash, the, the other one that was similar to 87 that they're doing the... 2000. Uh, was it 2000, Jamie? 2000. 2000 or, Jamie says 2000. Um, anyways, people got shaken out. Uh, fear uh, overtook greed. Um, and the uh, loss aversion uh, really, really kicked into gear. In the world of investing versus speculating, uh, it's a whole gray area. And it's, it's tricky, it's confusing. And as such, uh, we want to head back to the University of Western, uh, go back to school. Uh, it is a new year, new semester's beginning. Uh, who not better to speak to than Amos Nodler, uh, professor of finance and specifically professor in behavioral finance, which is a new science uh, that continues to gain a lot of interest and traction. Uh, Amos, I want to thank you very kindly for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio again. Hey, good morning. It's uh, great to be here as always with you guys. So, um, again, Jack uh, prepped me with my 10 cognitive biases that can lead to investment <laughs> mistakes. And, my friend, we're going to put theory aside and share with you uh, real-time examples of people who said, get me out and put me into safety at the wrong point in time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people who have their capital invested in a portfolio they may need next year four, five, six percent of that money. The following year, mm-hmm. they may need four, five, six percent of that money. They don't need all of that money at any given point in time. But markets go up. That's what they're supposed to do. When markets go down, hmm, I don't like this. It's not supposed to go down. Well, it just does that. Um, it's, again, it's a constant reminder that if you are investing, volatility exists. But Again, why is it, if we don't need the money, are we so emotionally driven to protect ourselves and, and just not see our accounts go down? Because we know what happened. The market rallied hard in January, continues to rally in February. So if we hit a pothole straight down, and the market looks like it's coming basically, I don't want to jinx it, but it looks like it's coming straight back. Mm-hmm. I think every downtick that uh, clients have, they experienced 2000. You talk about the crash there. Jamie mentioned that. 2008, we've had multiple clients that said to us, you know what, I've gone through this a couple times now in the recent past, and I don't want to go through it again. So when the market's down 10 points or 20 points, yeah. they just want to go to cash and they'll buy GICs and they're clipping 3%. Right. So how can, how can we help people um, deal with this? Or can we, uh, almost? can we help people? Can they help themselves better handle volatility and deal with loss aversion knowing when prices go down on anything else, sir, your, your, your course itself, if, if Western were to drop the price of tuition by 50%, <laughs> I, I know registration will go up. I guarantee it will go up. Why don't we do it with equities? Why don't we do it with investments almost? Well, uh, yeah, the, the term that we use, the term of art we use is, is loss aversion. And just humans hate to lose. It doesn't matter what it is. And there's a huge asymmetry between how much we'd like to win something and how much it hurts to lose something. In regards to the issue brought up, I mean, that's the issue we're all dealing with. When, when we're invested in the market, those are our resources. And that's kind of a proxy for, for something else that's valuable to us. And it matters. And you can say 5%, 10%, but the gut reaction that people have to these drops isn't calibrated very finely. Like that's something that we find in behavioral finance and neuroeconomics is that the brain overreacts to things. And you guys know this. And so when people see a 5% or you know, a 10% drop like we see, which is a standard correction, happens all the time. We're not even talking about a crash, which is more like 30%. The brain overreacts, and we want to feel safe. It's a human, basic human emotion. And so people want to pull out. And what happens is they pull out at the wrong time. And 
as you can see your clients, what they do is they, they trade at the wrong times. So they'll pull out money and then try to put it back in at the wrong times. And even though they own an asset that over long periods of time appreciates, they will harm themselves. So what you can do about that is uh, if you guys are managing money, I know you guys do a great job with that, is, is have some sort of stopgap, some behavioral sort of speed bump that stops people from saying, I want to get out, I want to get out. And you can walk them through the logic. And I suspect you guys already do this in conversations. Just let's think about this. This is part of a normal thing. This is not the end of the world. And try to help people's logical brain, which is more the frontal lobe, you know, executive function, kind of help their, their emotional brain, which is more, you know, amygdala kind of uninvolved part of the brain. And that's, that's kind of the challenge is you guys walking, you know, clients through that uh, overreaction that happens all the time. But, yeah, but it's incredible because Jack, Jack actually, again, entertains me all the time. People say, Jack's a pretty dry guy. He's actually a very funny guy. Um, <laughs> but, but Jack said, Wolf, I just got off the phone with my father and I kept telling my father, stop watching television. You are wasting your time. You cannot add value. You are only stirring your own emotions. That is completely unproductive. That could actually be counterproductive. So uh, point number two, information bias. Information is a tendency to evaluate information even when it's useless in understanding a problem or or, or issue. In other words, wood from the trees. Uh, but investors are bombarded with useless information every day from financial commentators. Hello. Uh, newspapers, stockbrokers. <laughs> hello again. Uh, it's difficult to filter through it and focus on information that's relevant. The point of the matter is, I go back to my little wheel I got in front of me here. And uh, every 60 seconds, this is funny, every 60 seconds, 266,000 hours of Netflix viewing takes place. So when I, when I start to get antsy about the market because I too am human Jack's human sometimes um, uh, I take a walk down to the food court and I walk by McDonald's and I see a massive crowd of people lining up for that delicious yummy food and I say people have money and that brand continues to work how can we help people get into that state of mind Amos well you've, you've lined it up very nicely the, the information is not it's noise so what they're seeing on the news, I mean, the media's role is not to help people allocate assets in their portfolios. The role of the media is to keep you glued to the media and to keep having an emotional reaction. And all the networks do this. They, they have a bit of a dramatic flair. There's hyperbole that happens in the news, whether it's about you know, a politician doing something or something that's going on in a company. So the role of the media is to entertain you, to keep you engaged so they can sell advertising. I know this is you know, not what media wants to mention, but it's not to help you know where to put your money. So walking away, going to the food court is a, is a good idea and an analogy for tune out the noise. So noise and information are two separate things. Uh, and it takes real research to get the information about companies and not get swept away by the noise. It does indeed. Uh, well, guess what we're going to do right now, my good friend? We're going to go to a commercial break. Yes, pay some bills uh, and come back with more noise. But no fake news, my good friends, on Hi-Fi Radio, Global <laughs> News Radio, Network 640 in Toronto. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Oscar Wilde, I can resist everything except temptation. I like that. I like that. Eh? Our friend beside us, Jamie, he's tempted by gold. I like tech mm -hmm. stocks. I like drug stocks. I like bank stocks. I like companies that make money. Uh, I think if you own good quality brands, 
and you think longer term, you're going to tilt the probability into your favor. So that's the other one is, is this word probability uh, as opposed to sure thing. And, you know, you can tie it into anchoring bias as well because these things are all sort of intertwined uh, almost. And by the way, we got a professor from the University of Western on. Yes, we are back to school. Uh, we're getting ourselves a little free Western degree with uh, our good friend, Almost Nodler. He's been on joining us on Hi-Fi Radio since the show's inception, Jack. We're going back years and years and years with Almost. Um, but let's talk about the, the, the people trying to think in terms of probability versus certainty. I believe the world is a probable world. Jack believes it's a probable world. But when people think marijuana stocks are a sure thing, take half my money. I've never bought a stock, but give me marijuana stocks. All my money in gold. That's where I want it to all go. No, 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 no. So, 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 so Amos, please help the audience with reality. Yes. Well, those two, if you put, look at gold and you look at marijuana stocks or any other asset that um, is, you know, we can call it speculative cash flows. We don't really know where it's going to go. Those are kind of two opposite extremes. So when the market is uh, going you know, haywire and there's high volatility, there's what we call a flight to safety where people want to feel safe. So they go to assets that are low volatility. And gold has been that kind of go-to if you want to get real conservative, you know, T-bills or something where there's very low return, but there's also essentially no risk. Yep. And so, yeah, the world is probabilistic. Uh, there's no such thing as a, as a sure bet. And you see people fluctuate going to safety when things are very volatile and then but there are things like you said the temptation people pull get pulled into exciting stuff such as you talked about the tech the tech you know boom and bomb that happened in you know 2000 yep. these other things that happen people kind of infuse their hopes and dreams into these these assets because they think that it's going to take them to the moon and you know put them into a different oh yeah solve all their problems income bracket yeah well, like almost yeah, says but- the investors that we talked about that were going to cash they were reacting to volatility and they're conditioned to think that volatility is risk right Right. Mm-hmm. Volatility is volatility. Permanent loss of capital is a different thing. And these companies that we own, if, as long as they have cash flow and it continues to grow over time, they should be okay. The other thing that I would yeah, mention- I, I want to interject because you, you put two words together there. And almost, you can please join in on this one here. And, and, and mm-hmm. you may as well, Jamie. Loss of capital, sure. Stock goes down. If you sell, you lose capital. But the point Jack made is permanent loss of capital. The, the, the Canadian Bitcoin miners, uh, that cold storage <laughs> thingy story, where, where, where a couple hundred million dollars worth of crypto assets cannot be mm-hmm. accessed because someone lost the chippy poo, uh, that, that, that could be permanent loss of 200 milski. Um, Google going into a little flash crash or Facebook a little flash crash, I think that's temporary, not permanent. Especially if it's a diversified mm-hmm. portfolio. Right. So again, it goes back to yeah. quality assets. The other, the other thing I'd make a point is that the clients that go to cash, they say, I'm going to go back into the uh-huh. market when things are better. And our line back to, to them is, it. is it, is the market going to be cheaper or more expensive when things are better? Yeah. yeah, you can't time it. But the thing, you use the term permanent loss of capital, which is a ca- classic value investing catchphrase. So that's an investor perspective versus a trader perspective. And so I'm on board with you on that. And I'm on board also about the point of trying to market time. It's so difficult to time any asset, much less, you know, on a regular basis that, yeah, I mean, maybe BlackRock can do it. Maybe a very small number of professionals can do it. But timing is inc- incredibly difficult. So going back to the original, let me ask you, the world's probabilistic, slow down. Almost. why do you believe timing the market is difficult? I believe it because 
I, it's not a, a belief; it's empirically shown. Correct. Uh, you know, I've, I've been at hundreds of, I've read you know yep. tons of papers and presentations, uh, looking at retail traders, looking at professionals. The the level of complexity to find the bottom or find the top is incredibly high, and every moment we're standing behind a veil of ignorance, and we don't know what's coming okay. in any given moment. I love so, that so veil it's of Very it. very difficult even for professionals. I'll, I'll tell you why it's difficult, in my opinion, because again, I've traded and I've invested. I prefer investing. But you know what makes trading mm -hmm. so difficult? You put a trade on. Mm -hmm. It starts to work, and then it stops working, goes against you, and you don't want to take a loss. Traders mm -hmm. must be willing to take a loss. How good are we as people, my good friend, at taking losses? And I'm going to throw it to the oh, professor in finance. Hey, come on. Can you take a loss, Hamas? Oh, can you be proven? You're, and you're an A-plus student. I, give, I bet you you have more difficulty taking a loss than I do because I was a D student. Not really. Hey, but. it's tough. There's, there's actually a term for it. We call it the disposition effect. So people have a tendency to hang on to losing assets. Uh, for a very long time, and then they sell their winners really quick. Yep. So the term we use in behavioral finance is the disposition effect, and you can measure that. There's a, a beautiful you know, number of papers showing that. So can you train people out of it? Like you said, it's tough, and, and, I, and I also struggle with it myself because you have to cut your losses and recognize, I made a mistake. It feels terrible. But what I've found, the key to that is to realize that I could reallocate that ass, those, the, those funds right now into something that's going the opposite direction, and that has the promise of. But again, uh, again, your second trade could be wrong too. Now you got to cut it, and your third. We we totally. saw a client put on fifth, not a client, a, a, a newsletter writer uh, put on. I don't know, Jack, what fifteen, seventeen trades in out. Mm -hmm. how, how many were were up trades? I think out of seventeen, might have been. Three, not, four not up? very many. Not yeah. very but, many. But I have a question. Isn't mm -hmm. that why asset allocation accounts for eighty percent of a portfolio's return? It's a discipline of sell when you have overperformance and buy more when it's underperformance. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's so difficult to do. But, 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 asset but that's a discipline. Right. That's a discipline yeah. process. Yeah, you're buying, However, you're buying low assets. My argument assets, right yeah. here is gold has been an asset with an asset <laughs> allocation <laughs> model for years, <laughs> and nobody has any right now. I never warned you that we had a gold. I never warned you we had a gold bug. Is that a good friend? Asset allocation has been around for years and nobody has any asset allocation in that sector and i think that's a mistake no people are underweight gold there's no question i'm not going to debate that zero no no yeah no one no one's at gold so to get gold higher won't take very much right look when i join gold you're going to be selling it yeah. you, probably I, you, you'll be smart <laughs> you will, you will. as an and investor as an investor you want to be there when no one's there and then wait till the crowd mm -hmm. shows up and that's another behavioral trait that we yeah. talked about so. almost you did a great job man as always uh i really really appreciate your time almost nodler professor of behavioral finance at the university of western let me know when the price goes down 50 points i'm going to sign up for the course okay buddy <laughs> you got it wolf all right man uh coming up next our favorite real estate developer, Mr. Brad Lamb. He is a brick house. Coming up right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know what that means? The man, Brad Lamb, in studio. Lamb Developments, the condo king. Brad, it's a pleasure having you in studio. I'm always tickled when I know you're going to join us. I really am. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, give us an update. I tell you, from, from our perspective, uh, we are, Jack and I are seeing real estate prices crack last year. Um, Specifically, nine hundred five more than four one six. I sense. Uh, Again, see our, our market. Your your market doesn't flash lights every day. Our market flashes lights every day. That, that's what makes our market unique. 
not better or worse, it's different. Um, it can dislocate things pretty quickly and people don't want to step in and buy value um, and then things get expensive and all of a sudden people are calm. I, I, don't, I don't totally get it. Well, well time, I would say time solves problems and uh, our market is priced every day. So you look at the last three months, you've had sort of a pothole market as, uh, as Rich Davis, one of our analysts said. So the market went down 20 points and it hasn't recovered fully, but it's certainly on its way back up. If, if you held real estate over that period of time, you wouldn't even know that it corrected down 20 and then straight back up. But we're asking clients and clients are admitting, yeah, my house is probably down 10 or 15% from the peak. Um, you know, and their portfolio with us last year was down anywhere between 5 and 10%, depending on how you want to slice that uh, uh, piece of fruit, should I say. But I'll tell you what's catching my attention in, uh, here, of course, is as they put in stress tests uh, for mortgagers uh, 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 to, to, to cool down the housing market, um, bankruptcies filed by consumers are continuing to trend down or flatline, but this this consumer proposal seems to be ticking higher. So in, 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 in presenting a consumer proposal to your lender, which means you got yourself into a bit of trouble, you missed a payment or two, that's on the uptick. So uh, speak to uh, the consumer's ability to borrow money uh, and as such how that is playing on your market, i.e. the condo market in the uh, various cores of cities that you're operating in. Well, I mean, uh, let's talk about Toronto because it's it's the the city that drives Canada, and so we had um, real estate prices probably rise thirty five percent in a two year period, say from you know two thousand fifteen to two thousand seventeen, and um, and that is an excessive increase that that um, you know I can't I can't uh, sit here and say I understand you know why it happened and what happened it just did yeah. Um, and so, you know, when when um, the fundamentals that underline real estate, which is uh, affordability um, and uh, you know people's salaries, uh, not so affordability went down. A stress test was introduced. Um, the provincial government introduced a bunch of uh, negative factors. Uh, locally in Toronto, we had some negative factors with the city of Toronto. Uh, all of these things um, contribute to it, but at the end of the day, if you can't afford to buy real estate because your salary is not high enough, you're not going to do it. And a lot of people have been taken out of the system. Just plain and simple, um, real estate is is uh, out of out of touch for most people forever in Toronto, and uh, that means you're going to have um, less sales, less development, um, and more tenancies. And that's that's where we're going. I mean, I, I look at Toronto. I look at all the cities in the world that matter real estate wise all the time to see where we where we where we line up and Toronto is an expensive city. It's not the most expensive city on a on a dollar per square foot basis. It's probably you know number thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know when they bring in all the measures that they you know they say it's the most expensive city. They bring in all the measures about like cost of bread and cost of gas and and you know general cost of living and so on and rent carries versus owning and so on. But we're in a situation now where I think Toronto is an expensive city. It's not going back much. There's always an opportunity for a recession to take some of the gains away. But um, we are not going back to you know to six or seven or eight hundred dollar a foot. We're we're at downtown a thousand to eleven hundred dollars a foot for a regular condo, and I don't see that changing uh, going forward. But I also don't see. Um, uh, and, and part of this is you've got to realize there's not much left to build here. 
Like where your office is right now, there's this studio. Yeah. This is like the last bit of Toronto that can Well, well we were stepping into the lake, dude. We're, like, we're, we're yeah. right there. You, yeah. like. you take this away, the waterfront and, and then the port lands, uh, which will be dealt with soon. Uh, there's there's nothing left. I mean, it's all gone. King, Queen, you know, Richmond, Adelaide. Is the dock, but is the dock still here? Jack, Jack and I were talking about it. Does the dock still exist? Gone? Then, then I the call the docks. Yeah, yeah it's not bar. called the docks. It's uh, it's called, I forget what it's called, but a, a new nightclub company took it over. So it, it, that still does exist? Yeah, it still exists. Yeah. But, but, but it's it's all going to go out there. But yeah, but all that property, that's an interesting part of the city. If you, mm-hmm. people aren't familiar with what it's I'm talking gone. about. We're... They took it out. It was called the Cool House. Oh, the Cool House. Isn't now it? it's become the launch pad. That's that big building we're looking at now. No, that... no, no. He's What he's talking about is Charles Caboose's nightclub over uh, where the docks oh, used to be. Okay. Correct. That, that, that the cool correct. house. I was like, no, no yeah, that, that, no, that's, cool that's, that's old RPM, yeah. the government. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that, was also, yeah. that was also Charles. Yes, it was Charles. Yes, property, Charles. Yeah. He did quite but he, well. But he took over uh, um, the property that used to be called the docks, and it's I forget what it's called, but yeah. it's a it's a it's a big nightclub, yeah. monster nightclub. He spent millions of dollars, like eighteen million dollars, renovating. He's there for a while. That stuff's not going to happen for a bit because there's still room to grow along the waterfront here. Right, but it's going to happen soon. We're in studio with Brad Lamb, our favorite real estate developer. It, it is a treat that we get to bring such talent into Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, please fill up your coffee. Stay tuned to Hi-Fi. More of it right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartley, your co-host, and we have uh, the very talented... Um, and seasoned uh, real estate developer Brad Lamb, Brad Lamb Realty, Lamb Developments. Uh, Treb, the Toronto Real Estate Board, expects the average selling price of the Toronto home uh, to increase to $820,000, uh, close to the peak of 2017 and up from uh, seven eighty seven in uh, 2018. So they seem to be relatively bullish on the prices of houses. Uh, just off air, Brad, you made a statement about supply versus demand. So how much demand is there in Toronto for new dwellings to be created? Um, well, you could you could argue 40,000 new homes um, and maybe uh, 10,000 rental properties. City grows by, by 100,000 people a year um, and good people. Canada has the best record for bringing in uh, talented, useful immigrants, uh, economic immigrants that, that bring jobs and Capital, knowledge and, and know-how. Yeah. yeah. And and so, um, like last year, 2018 was not a good year. We sold 20,000 new units, new houses, uh, new condos, and I think it was 3,000 houses, like the worst ever for houses. We sold 20,000 condominium units in Toronto? New. New, yeah, brand new, yeah, and yeah. 3,000 houses. Yeah, so 23,000, but typically we've been averaging around 30. That's the number we need uh, just to kind of keep our heads above water and not have a supply problem. So we're have we're going to have a supply problem. So right now we have we have an affordability problem. Yes, we do. Right, prices went up fast, and interest rates went up a bit, and uh, and people got shocked quickly. So we need to play a bit of catch up with salaries, and that's happening. Salaries are rising. I'm getting I'm getting hit every day in my office for raises, uh, so people don't leave and go somewhere else. So th- that's all going to take place in a few years. We'll what catch happens up. when unemployment falls? It's as simple as economics 101. Yeah, isn't it? 100%. I, I, unemployment yeah. falls. And yeah. I, listen, my accountant came in and got a 30% raise. <laughs> she's going to go somewhere else and get more money. Wow. So you, you, you talk about it not being an affordable city, Toronto, um, and you have to rent now. It's a tenancy uh, issue, I guess you said. 
They're not building new apartments, though. So how how's that? Uh, how does that issue get solved? Well, it's not getting solved. So so, the, and this is why prices are going up, right? So so, what happens is <clears throat> people are like, I can't afford to buy. I got to rent. Can't afford to rent. What am I going to do? So something has to shake loose. So for a while, what happened is is sell, buyers didn't want to pay what sellers wanted. So sellers said, We're not selling. We're just going to not sell, and we'll rent if we can rent if it's an investment property that we don't need to sell. And what you're seeing already in January, the market was up in January. It was a good January. And I think you'll see February is very good. Um, so uh, it's not going to be, uh, you know, 100, 103,000 uh, resales this year. be much better than last year. We, Eighty-five to 90,000 is a great year for Toronto. Uh, resales. Resales. And new sales, it's going to be a bad year this year because there's nothing coming. We there's have, no new product. We have Brad Lamb in studio, Lamb Developments, uh, a real expert in uh, in, in national uh, real estate, and you obviously been doing this a long time where you go to council, various city councils, you, you look at the long-term zoning bylaws, planning bylaws, immigration laws, you, all this data I know is running through your brain. Um, my question to you is Toronto, as a city, there's a lot of industrial, low-industrial industry. I see it. I live in Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you go in between Islington and Kipling, there's this very interesting industrial park in there. Dimfermeyer Bakery, Future Bakery, meat shops, seafood shops, auto repair shop. You're starting to see the odd building come down and coming off of Islington or Kipling, six houses, six townhomes <clears> moving, <throat> and then another six townhomes. So do we have enough land in Toronto to meet um, the demand of Thirty to forty thousand new units, condo homes. I think we do if we if we if we re, rezone and uh, reuse uh, existing. You know, it's funny. Campbell's soup came up for sale down there, yeah, and it sold to a weed company. I made an offer no! and tried to buy it. Is that right? Yeah, a weed company bought it. Are they going to be growing in that facility? Yeah, Are they a, really? It's be the world's biggest uh, growing. Oh, my, my brother-in-law lives like you can see from my brother-in-law's home that building. Yeah. Chicken soup to Chicken cannabis soup. soup. To cannabis soup, yeah. That's hilarious. So, so were you looking so to get it rezoned, or what were you looking to do in that, yeah, the, in that I, property? I, I was looking to do, what I thought I'd do there is a, um, a high-tech village uh, with housing and, and, and all the other things that the, the, the office use needs. But there would be an element of housing. But it's not, it's it, 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 hard fought to get that changed. My, we were looking at 45 million. It went for, I think, 80. Campbell's Soup Building. I think it went for eight. Well, those cannabis companies, they got a lot of uh, capital infused to them, and they're looking to, I guess, put it to work. 20 acres. It's a big, big parcel. It was worth 80. It was worth more than 80. I I, I, you're, you know, you're a smart entrepreneur, but I know you got a lot going through your mind, and we're out of time here. I want to ask you, did you put in for a marijuana retail license? No. You know, we all made a mistake. 75 bucks. It was a lottery. It cost you nothing but 75 bucks to enter, and... It, Again, a, a fellow in our office said a lot of his friends put in for it. it. It was instant cash if you won that puppy. Instant cash, like millions of dollars. Because seventy five. Well, there, there was some pe- there was some penalties if you didn't launch the, uh, yeah, you, you, launch you, the retail. You, you could yeah. parlay that real quick, but to make a long I would story, expect, yeah. I, I think there was what 50, uh, 50 uh, lottery winners out of thirteen thousand applicants. The probability was pretty darn good on that one. Uh, and anyway, Brad Lamb, I really appreciate you coming to, to the studio to share with us your thoughts. I want to talk about the homeless situation. Uh, on another interview, I really do. I want there to be a lamb home for the homeless. I, w- I want to work with you on this. I want to come up with an idea. I think, I think, <laughs> I, I think you, you have the heart. I know you have the heart for this here. You have the know-how to do this. We have a homeless problem in Toronto. It needs to get solved. It needs pioneers like you and for me and Jack to maybe do our little part for, for, for another date, my good friend. Uh, a real pleasure. I want to wish you success as well in 2019. That's it for the show. I thank you for tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network 640 in Toronto. 
been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.